0: I'm going to talk to you tonight about why Roe v. Wade matters. And look at somebody and say it matters a bunch. I want to just go into some scriptures with you first and then talk to you about the impact of that decision. And I'm going to talk to you about the science of the unborn. And then we're going to pray. And we're going to tear this stronghold down. Amen. And you're going to continue to pray all the way through the winter, all the way through the spring to when these decisions finally come out. But uh, at the outset, there's some very good news and indicators today about the impact of those that argued this case and the mindsets of the jurors as they heard these cases. So um, what, um, what Ronald Reagan called an abomination could be nearly over in this nation. Amen. And that's, that's very good news. Go to Genesis chapter 1, and I just want to remind you just uh, how valuable human life is. Verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. There's no other creation made in the image of God. So we know at the outset that that, uh, that tiny human being is incredibly important to the Lord and supremely hated by the enemy. In other words, the enemy can't touch God. He tried and he got tossed out. So what does he do? He turns his hatred towards the most susceptible, the most innocent among us—those babes that are made in His image. Now, when you look at scriptures like Matthew chapter two, you find out that the magi they return a different way, and Herod finds out that he did not get the response he wanted. He declares war on the on what the children that are two years and under of male descent. It's the same spirit today. Uh, He went after a king by hitting the masses and the same strategies used today. Take out the children, take out the scientists, take out the preachers, take out the evangelists with the same spirit of Herod. So we see spiritually here, this is not a political football. This is not a social issue. This is fundamentally a spiritual issue. And that's how we as people of faith have to see this. So The uh, abortion is the spirit of Herod and it's a manifestation of the devil's hatred for the fact that we're made in his image. And what's so sad about the history since 1973 in this nation, we're one of seven or eight nations who actually have late-term abortions. It seems the rest of the world has an idea this is barbaric. You want to know other nations that have these laws? China. We're in the same category as China with our radical pro-abortion laws in this nation. Well, moving right along, go to Psalm 8 and let's just meditate on this and be built up today. If you're feeling like, what's the point of your life? You know, do you matter? You matter. I said, you matter. And you're important to Him. And you're made in His image. And you're at the apex of His creative ability. In Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name on all the earth. You've set Your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, You've ordained praise because of Your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Do you see this, that uh, out of everything that God has created, you're at the top of that list. As beautiful as creation is, nothing was ever made in his image but you. Amen. Uh, That's God's point of celebration. But for the devil, he hates your stinking guts. That he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Because wherever he can sap out human potential and human destiny, he is all for doing that. And he's been successful. Um, Up to this date, depending on whose uh, statistics you believe, between 62 and 70 million children have been murdered since Roe v. Wade was passed. Um, Does that uh, bother anybody? I said, does that bother anybody? Let's put that number in perspective. All of the losses on the battlefields in all the history of the wars of this nation, uh, according to, to VA statistics, all the wars combined. Now we're not talking about people who were wounded or people who died for other causes, but battlefield deaths—people going out to fight in our defense—six hundred fifty-one and thirty-one, six hundred fifty-one thousand thirty-one battlefield deaths and 62 to 70 million abortions since 1973. And when the Vietnam War was going on, every time you saw a body bag, there was another protest. You see this? There's a complete disconnect in this nation between the value of life for somebody that's on the other side of the womb versus the one that's on the inside of the womb. And you say, well, that's just a matter of personal preference. No, it's a matter of honoring God. It's also a matter of valuing life. And raising your voice up, and I—I um, I don't know what will happen with Mr. Trump in the future. You know, I don't profess to be a political prophet. All I can tell you is I believe that he was raised up specifically to put three pro-life jurists on that panel. And if nothing ever happens, he would have done the most significant thing—to stop this scourge in our nation. And which is, of course, the basis for a lot of the uh, inane, you know, hatred and wrath and various that comes with that particular office. It's the reason why when John Danforth of Missouri, Senator Danforth of the roston Purina, you know, family and fortune, guided Clarence Thomas through the process of being nominated and through his hearings, and the Democrats raised up a woman to accuse him of sexual harassment out of the blue to stop this man, um, Clarence referred it to a a modern-day lynching, which, is, in fact, it really was. Why would they do that to him all those years ago? They did that to him all those years ago for this very moment. And I hope he just gives it to him. I hope he's the one that gets to write the opinion when this is all said and done. Because what they did to him is unconscionable. Unbelievable. That's the, that's the depth of hate, hatred and intrigue people will go to protect their right to kill the unborn in this nation. Well, let's talk a little bit more from a scriptural standpoint. Go to Jeremiah and you begin to understand that uh, the scripture actually reveals uh, the importance and the value of life. Scripture itself is our highest authority, isn't it, church? We can go to a lot of things and argue a lot of things, but the Scripture is our highest authority. And in verse 4, chapter 1, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb. Who? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. What does that tell you about this specific situation? It tells you that there is an answer to the question, When does life begin? Um, you know, to the to the progressive, to the liberal, well, you know, at birth. And maybe not even then in New York and uh, in Illinois. Uh, you can just kind of let them die right there on the table, even if they're born on time. Uh, that's how far this has gone. And I think it was the last straw for the Spirit of God. When laws were passed, celebrating, dancing, the governor of New York, who's now been dethroned, dancing and celebrating with other people in the New York legislature over the fact that they can actually have what? An abortion up to the day of birth at birth. Prancing around like it was something wonderful. And I looked at that, I saw a video and said, that's it. This wickedness has reached its fullness in the eyes of God. That's it. And you know a lot of those people that have out of power now, including the governor. I just pray the Lord we we'll just sweep them all out. Amen. Just one big thing. Fe- Anybody that wicked celebrating the the destruction of a baby at that late term, especially. It's unconscionable. Well, to the liberal, it's when the baby is, is born. To the traditional, it's, it's, it's when the baby is conceived. But in the mind of God, it's, it's what? And when he conceives in his mind, that's when life begins from a theological standpoint. So when does life begin? In the mind of God. He knew him and called him before he formed him. But that's not just about Jeremiah. He knew you and formed you. You get this. You're just as important to this this end time plan of God as Jeremiah was in his day. This isn't just about Jeremiah. This is a revelation of the heart of God. This is a piece of his wisdom. This is God exposing his, his glory and his beauty, his majesty, his power for the world to see. And it's not just that. We see the same thing with the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul You know, was called from the womb to preach the gospel. Galatians 1:15. Paul had the same revelation about his destiny that God showed of Jeremiah, and the same thing is true about you, and the same thing is true about every one of those children that have been murdered in this land and around the world. And our our stats compel you know pair you know really pale in comparison to people like China, where there's been forced abortion going on for decades, limiting of so many children household, I'm just going to say, you know what, if, if, if some Chinese intelligence officer comes after me, then you'll know what happened. But I'm telling you, it's a wicked regime. It has the worst human rights record of any nation on the planet, including Iran. And these people need to be held accountable for what they have done. COVID is of their origin. They are harvesting body parts from prisoners, political prisoners and religious prisoners. There's a million Muslims locked up. There's a half a million Christians locked up. Christian churches are being razed to the ground. Pastors have been actually submerged and drowned in urine that was filled up by in urinals by the Chinese military. These people are wicked. They are godless and they are wicked and they need to be held accountable. And too many people won't call them out because of trade and money. We have no business buying or selling with that wicked regime. We need to treat them the same way we would any other human rights violator. Won't do business with Iran, but we'll do business with those people. Those people. And that's what our politicians need to be talking about. But the problem is so many of them are in the pockets of the Chinese these days. Well, I believe it's going to be another thing God deals with before it's all over with. I said, he's going to deal with this before it's all over. But he doesn't always deal with things in our time. Guess what? He deals with them in his time. Yes, he does. And he's got plenty of time. Yes. Yes. Amen. That's the same situation, just at a, at a larger scale. So in the, in the States, uh, you know, we're at a, a, a crossroads on a major, major decision here that I believe can, can set our nation on the path of the greatest revival we've ever seen. Yes and lift the curse off of this nation. Uh, a friend of mine is a New Testament scholar. He has a Ph.D. in the New Testament. He also studied the concept of, uh, of leadership as a form of judgment on the nations. And there are times when God will allow leaders to creep up and take power in the nation out of judgment. I believe we presently have a leadership structure right now that is a result of judgment on this nation. Won't it be wonderful to throw the, the chains of that off? Amen and have righteousness installed for this nation, for what God has in in store for us. So, you know, uh, just like Jeremiah, just like Paul, he created you. He knew you, Wilma. Amen. Had a conceived plan for you. He's got a destiny for every person in this room. Aren't you glad for it? In Luke 1.15, the Bible tells us that John is going to be filled with the Spirit inside the womb. That must be a human soul if he can be filled with the Holy Ghost yes. on the inside. You know what happened when Elizabeth met Mary? What happened? Oh, yeah, yep, baby in his womb. What happened to Elizabeth? Yeah. She, was, she got filled with the Holy Ghost. Yeah. So whatever was on John, amen, and then John came on Mama, oh, who knows how far down the line that went? Do you see this? That's why you have to first and foremost go to Scripture and look at this thing theologically. And when you find that out, it's, oh, not not only is life, you know, precious, it's ordained, and it's got destiny attached to it. Amen? Glory to God. Well, when does life begin? At birth? At conception? No, in the mind of God before conception. And it's one of the reasons why uh, Ronald Reagan wrote this in 1984. He was thoroughly uh, grieved uh, over the stage of this nation and, and this ruling that came out about 10 years later. And that's about what he did on the 10-year anniversary. It finally went to publication a year later. He said the real question today is not when human life begins, but what is the value of human life. The abortionist who reassembles the arms and legs of a tiny baby to make sure all of its parts have been torn from its mother's body can hardly doubt whether it is a human being. The real question for him and for all of us is whether that tiny human life is a God-given right to be protected by the law. The same right we have. Ronald Reagan, abortion in the conscience of a nation. And I say that baby does have the same right. Yes. Amen. Amen. Yes. Human and a U.S. citizen. What about the impact of this ruling for you? As a, as a basis of prayer tonight. The ruling basically said that abortion on demand without unreasonable restriction is a constitutional right. To get to this uh, ruling, they had to use the 14th Amendment citing due process and that the U.S. Constitution provides them a right to privacy to choose whether to have an abortion or not. Even the most you know, sharp legal minds who didn't mind the, the result from a social standpoint that abortion was available, at the time even said this is the most ludicrous line of reasoning they've ever heard. You name it, Harvard, Stanford, Northwestern, all saying the same thing. They said this is not a way to get to this particular decision. And that's why it's vulnerable right now with the jurists that we now have who are more conservative and pro-life. And that's what they're saying is that the basis for making this decision is completely erroneous and wrong. Let's talk a minute for a moment about the the impact of this. Um, some Some of these legal minds actually said this. They said that some of the jurists in that decision literally had to turn off their brains, ignore their experience and their training to make this political decision. And that's what Roe v. Wade was, a political decision. Because there's no basis in the Constitution for it. You have no right to terminate an unborn baby using the right of privacy through due process in the 14th Amendment. Amen? What's the life impact? 62 to 70 million dead since 1973. The economic impact? 65 to $130 billion in lost wages every single year. Plus the taxes that come from that. What does that work out to be? We can eliminate the national debt right now with the lost revenue from those kids that have been aborted. Wow. There are consequences to sin. Say it with me, there are consequences to sin. <laughs> what about the economic impact? The, what about the innovation impact? All their creativity, all the scientific breakthroughs, all the literature that was never written, all the ministry that was never conducted because these children never had a chance to breathe. It's hard to calculate that, isn't it? I mean, the impact of one life and how life interacts and affects other lives, reaches them for the gospel, or comes up with a solution. Amen? I think it was Mother Teresa that said that she believed that the, the answer to AIDS lied in, lied in the, lied the mind of an aborted baby. That's pretty powerful when she said it. And I believe that she believed it. What about the uh, spiritual impact? Um, this was particularly uh, disheartening in, in the land of Canaan, and one of the reasons why God had judged those nations, but they basically would make a you know an image of Molech. And in the middle of Moloch would be like a, a, a kettle type structure underneath with fire, and they would literally toss their, their children into the fire, offering them Believing that doing so would cause good fortune and prosperity things would go well for those that are actually older than the baby and alive. This is the same spirit today. Why does somebody kill their baby? Because the perception is my life will be better without the baby. Now watch this. No, no sane person actually thinks if they will stop that it's better for the child to be dead than in poverty. I can get out of poverty. I can't get out of debt. That's the stupidity of some of the arguments that are made. I, I want to abort this baby because of the terrible life they'll have. Well, I'll tell you what, somebody cries out to God, God can take the worst situation and bring that child up and cause that child to be elevated and excel in every area of life, regardless of how that child started. But if they're dead, they can't be elevated. Does that make sense? What you have here is nothing more than child sacrifice going on since 1973. And that's why there's a curse on this land. With all of our success, with everything that we have done, with every good thing that's happened in this nation, we haven't seen anything like what will happen if we'll get this curse off our land. Are you in agreement with that? And this is our time. I told this to Timothy today. I said, you know what, I I don't think in our lifetime we're going to see an opportunity like we have right now. The situational way to set up—I don't think we'll have that opportunity ever again. It's truly, truly a God moment, amen. Well, the spiritual impact is, is of course, the biggest issue, um, because the child is sacrificed to Moloch for the benefit of those that are still alive, and the same thing is true today, amen. And what you end up with is, uh, you know, millions of children that are dead and millions of women that are scarred yeah. That's right. because of the big lie. That said, uh, whatever focus we have as people of God as, as compassionate people. We have to be compassionate towards the children, but also compassionate towards the people who have been down that path. Does that make sense? And it starts with Repentance. Amen. And it starts with the realization that God's mercies are new every morning. Aren't you glad for that? Yes. The Mississippi law is interesting because contrary to what the media has tried to portray, the Mississippi law, everybody said Mississippi. Mississippi. <laughs> uh, these are not a bunch of hicks and backwoods rednecks that came up with this law. This law is completely consistent with the latest medical proof and technology that is out there about the viability of a child at this particular threshold of 15 weeks. Do you notice how how liberals will scream, follow the science, follow the science, until the science doesn't allow them to have what they want? Then it's ignore the science, ignore the science, ignore the science. No, No, they need to follow the science on this particular situation. And here's... Without contradiction across the medical community right now, here is what an unborn child can be characterized as at 15 weeks gestation, which is the, the law. The Mississippi law is no abortion past 15 weeks unless there is a medical emergency or a serious malformation of the child. Now, you probably know what I think about that. Let the child live. And a law of mothers would say, sacrifice me, let the child live, because that's what the heart of the mother would do. But that's what the law is. It severely would restrict what? All this abortion on demand anytime you want, laid into the pregnancy. That's the law. And that law is tied to what the researchers have discovered about the, uh, the viability of the child and what the child can actually do, what the body of that child is actually doing. At 15 weeks, every major organ is fully formed and functioning. Every single organ. The blood's already being filtered. Everything is functioning. The heart is pumping 26 quarts per day. 15 weeks. Not a blob of tissue. Not a pretend thing. that We pretend it's not there until it pops up. Hello, Mom, I'm here. The heart starts beating at 22 days. Listen to this. At 15 weeks, by the time it's 15 weeks old, the heart is pumped 15,800,000 times. Sounds alive to me. Each finger moves independently. And they can actually watch them move independently. You know, they they said it for years, they just look like a little web, your feet with little web hands. But bunch of nonsense. At 15 weeks, they, they, they begin to prefer either the right thumb or the left thumb, indicating hand dominance. They'll also track this and see that the child will if touch its head or touch its mouth or nose. It's that dominant hand that will begin to do that at 15 weeks. The entire body responds to touch and reacts to it. Your soul, though, there's no nerve endings, it's not really a body. Every part of the body they can actually get to responds to touch. At that age, the baby responds to taste. Taste buds are fully functioning and actually preferring. If there is sweetness in the amniotic fluid, the baby will swallow more of the amniotic fluid. If the baby doesn't like it, they'll know that there's less swallowing. I guess that's where they get the sweet tooth from. <laughs> if that's the case, then my grandma must have kept my my dad constantly in donuts and sugar, and whatever, because <laughs> he's got the sweet tooth. That's for sure. <laughs> Taste buds are functioning just like yours function. Likes and dislikes. Um, The brain is creating 250,000 neurons per minute at 15 weeks gestation. Something's happening, huh? The brain connections made at 15 weeks, they last through adulthood. Whatever's happening stays there and functions all the days of that child's life. Females have most of the eggs they'll ever produce at 15 weeks. What? Inside the womb. Yeah. The baby has practiced breathing movements for over six weeks now. Amazing, isn't it? Eye movements are detectable in ultrasound. They laugh when we said that the baby can actually wink, but guess what? can, and it can actually move. I love this one. The skeleton is fully visible under x-ray at 15 weeks, the entire skeleton of the baby. Can you, can you just tell all the lies that Americans have been told through the years? Unreal. Successful and complete surgery has been performed uh, at babies at this age, twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, spina bifida, congenital heart defects, other disorders. Interestingly enough, they'll anesthetize the child differently from the mother and separately. In uterine surgery, including heart valve replacement, uh, holes in the heart at that age. It's just amazing. The arguments today, the watchers and the experts say there are four justices who would, who would, by their behavior and speech, would lean towards overturning Roe v. Wade. Four. Justice Roberts, the one we're concerned about, they seem to say, indicate he would be for the Mississippi law being upheld at 15 weeks, which would be huge. We don't know, there's no commentary on what Judge Barrett would do. So would Judge Barrett go with the ban and Roberts backing out, or would she and the others agree with the support of the Mississippi law? Um, This would basically send this stuff back to the states. So, Kentucky, with a strong conservative legislature right now, could absolutely pass a law restricting or banning an abortion, and the governor couldn't veto it because they'd override him. Um, I think there are conservative 30, 33 states right now that conservatives actually run. So, you can see the impact of this if it goes back to the states. This could very well be the way that it actually works out. The point is, when you sit inside that, that sacred chamber, by the questioning, by the interactions, uh, somebody was concerned about uh, Kavanaugh, he came up this morning, Kavanaugh and, um, and uh, Justice Breyer got into a shouting match today. That's how, that's how passionate Kavanaugh is on this issue of abortion. <laughs> that was actually good to hear. Oh, to be a fly on the wall. Amen. So Justice Roberts seems willing to uphold the Mississippi law as reasonable. Why? Because that's where the science is right now. Uh, How it comes down to, uh, we won't know for some time. But how many of you will join me in praying about this? And keep praying about this. So, four prayer points for you. I want you to write these down. And also take this with you. Prayer for the arguments have been made to strike the hearts of all nine justices. a wisdom that cannot be refuted. Um, they were, you no know, doubt, uh, very very well argued. But uh, now they'll discuss this and they'll talk about this and there'll be a decision made. And decisions will be written and and you know, uh, you know the the counter to that will be written. You know, those that didn't support whatever decision will come out with their own writing. And this all takes time and it's all a process. But I want to be great for for wiser heads to prevail here. Um, So the arguments that have been made, you know, pray that they really strike the hearts of the people that are actually going to be discussing this. Pray for each justice to see the light, each one of them. John Roberts, Chief Justice. Thomas, Associate Justice, Stephen Breyer, Samuel Alito, Sonia Sotomayor, Elena Kagan, Nia Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and I'll read these off to you again, and Amy Coney Barrett. Um, I would love to see Clarence Thomas write the the ruling. Uh, With great input from her, I'd love to see this happen. John Roberts, Clarence Thomas, Stephen Breyer, Samuel Alito, Sonia Sotomayor, Alina Kagan, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett. And then third, for this curse to be lifted off our country. I mean, if righteous sables, blood cried out from the ground. Could you imagine how much blood must be crying out from the ground? And then fourth, for the body of Christ to be ready for a rash of state legislation that places the burden on women's services and adoption services. In other words, we just can't say overturn this thing. The church has to be ready to provide services for these women and for these children. That means more homes being built, more professionals involved, more lawyers who are family lawyers engaging this. You're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of placements. Uh, the potential there is, is, uh, is really amazing, but it's a huge responsibility. And the church, if it just sits back and says, let's get this overturned, and doesn't have a strategy. And I mean capital C, you know, the big church. Um, you know, then we really have no, nothing to say if we don't have an alternative to this wickedness. So, again, pray about the arguments that they'll find, you know, a piercing of the hearts, each of justice to see the light, for this curse to be lifted, and for the body of Christ to be ready for what is coming. And uh, I can, I can kind of sense that. Uh, it's gonna, it's gonna fall back, um, no matter how this plays out. If they go with Mississippi, it empowers states across the country to do similarly. If uh, they strike Roe v. Wade, it goes back to the states. So really, either way, they rule. Now, they strike down the Mississippi law; it's a different issue. But either way, either it's struck down or the Mississippi law is upheld, then it's gonna go back to the states primarily. Um, so that's why. They always say politics is local, and that's why it matters who's in your state legislature. That's what matters who's sitting in your governor's chair. Amen.